Yeah, they had us the first half, I'm not gonna lie. They had us, we weren't defeated, but they had us. But it took guts, it took an attitude, that's all it takes. That's all it takes to be successful is an attitude. And that's what our coach told us, he said, it's the media. They got something to say Hello everybody, welcome to the Off Court Podcast, a podcast about the critical political economy of sports. We are in season two. My name is Aton. I'm joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Abdul, how's it going? Not bad, man. Um, you know, we just talked about Justice League and like Jack directors for about 45 minutes before recording this, which was weirdly related to the topic we're going to get into. But we, me and you basically have monster energy drink brain right now going into this episode. Oh, 100%. And it's like it's been just a, a bizarre week, I think, in general, because like this is the last week we may see the Raptors on their current roster because it is the trade deadline is five days from now. Yes, it Nick is. Nurse was just fined fifty thousand dollars for throwing his mask at co- at the refs and yelling profanities. So Wait, the, was he? Yes, I'm just I just am looking at my phone. Toronto Raptors coach king. Nick Nurse has been fined fifty thousand dollars for throwing his face mask near the spectator stands and directing inappropriate language towards an official. Honestly, though, like uh, not to guess too off topic, off topic, like right away, but uh, king shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fucking I fucking hate that uh I fucking hate that uh the refing this season has been such dog shit. It's been such dog shit. It almost feels like they're using like they're pushing us over the edge knowing where the Raptors are in this position. And also just any game where like the refs are on the Utah Jazz's side and giving them the respect as the number 1 seed is uh, going to boil my fucking blood. That that game actually nearly gave me a fucking aneurysm because it's like there is no like there were two or three points where it's just like clear clear fucking hard fouls from the jazz and it's like you could see pascal getting pissed uh norm getting pissed i think lowry was fouled at a certain point right like it's just Mm -hmm. like absolute dog shit yeah like the refing this season is going to be the thing that makes me give up on basketball i swear to god but honestly you know what nick nurse had covid got over it uh allegedly yeah i mean we don't Mm -hmm. know for a fact yet because he's never confirmed or denied but like uh honestly uh refs are cops and whatever you do to uh is fine especially the people who ref that game and they all all you ever like why do all the refs look sort of like they uh they 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 all look like the precogs in Minority Report. You know what I mean? Like they're all like weirdly bald looking. And then like the guy who runs the ref league has those like he has those weird like David Mamet glasses and he wears like a like like a weird um what's what's that pattern called? He just looks like he's like a 30s fucking like news guy character. I just feel like the ref culture of the NBA is like disgustingly old school in this weird have way. Have you listened Except to Whistleblower I actually listened to the first episode. I got I got to finish it. You it, should. The, Michael Imperioli narrating in it takes me out a little bit because it's so silly. <laughs> but I, I should finish it. Yeah. I you, do you like the it? idea of oh, – I have. It's super good. I do like the idea of ref precogs though, like three refs and like a, <laughs> a tub sitting courtside being like, you know. Yeah, and they're, they're giving like pre-fouls like pre fouls, like <laughs> yeah. before the fouls, man. Clear, clear path foul. Intentional. Intentional. <laughs> shooting foul. Two free, two free throws. Two free throws. <laughs> Technical, technical, oh and the balls God. are like rolling down to like the scorer's table. Now I'm also imagining Nick Nurse and like the pool being grabbed by one of them, going, "Can 
can you see? And it's like the replay of some play that they fucking missed in a Raptors game. Yeah, something. it's like it's like a, a star player getting Pascal getting ejected or something like that. <laughs> have like monster energy drink brain and i think that will help us a little bit for our discussion um because we're going to be talking about the ufc today um we're not going to talk about ufc's history by the way um there's a lot of podcasts a lot of books a lot of material just kind of about the ufc's history and sort of where it came from in the early 80s into the 90s and then in the 2000s when dana white took over we'll touch on that a bit but really what we're going to talk about today is the not too surprising bromance between human thumb Dana White and human orange uh, or orangutan Donald Trump? Their relationship wasn't really in the public eye until Trump began his president campaign for presidency in 2016, and since that point, Dana has become like extremely vocal in politics that go beyond the viability of the UFC. It's obviously been it, the UFC's obviously been embroiled in controversy in the past, but like there's not a lot of evidence of Dana White being political other than a few things that I unfortunately have to save to the end for dramatic effect. But before we get to that, we're going to dive in a little bit into Dana White's history. One of the one of the companies uh, that, that came out and started competing with us, Donald Trump was involved with. Donald Trump was one of the partners. Never through the whole thing did I say anything bad about Donald Trump. We first bought this company. One of the other things that people probably don't think about that didn't want us was venues. Venues didn't want us. And Donald Trump was the first guy that gave us our shot. We did the Trump Taj Mahal. Our first two shows were there. And not only, not only did he give us the shot at the Trump Taj Mahal, he showed up at the events. And then when we left the Trump Taj Mahal and we went out to uh, the Meadowlands, we did a big event out at the Meadowlands. He sh not only did he show up at the event at the Meadowlands, he was one of the first guys there sitting in his seat to watch the prelims. Wow. Yeah. So Donald Trump, again, you know, say what you want about him. The guy saw this thing coming was into it and gave us our first shot. And you'll never hear me say anything bad about Trump. You were telling me, Abdul, you don't know. You, you've been watching UFC recently, but you don't know too much about Dana White or the history of the league or anything Yeah, like I, have that. A, I have a face uh, fight pass account. Uh, nice. I watch fights from time to time. And, uh, like, you know, I watch the monthly, like, UFC main card or whatever, uh, you know, the fight night or whatever. The last one with Amanda Nunes was mm. really good. Probably the... <laughs> Like, I, for a second, I was like, why did they have three title fights in one night? And then you realize the Amanda Nunes one is there just because they have to put it there. Like, yes, it was over before the first round was over. You're just like, oh, yeah, like no one no one can actually beat Amanda Nunes. The biggest issue she has is atrophy because there's no one in her division she hasn't beaten. Yeah, they, the level of competition right now is kind of a little bit imbalanced. It's been interesting what's been... I've been watching a bit more of it since the Fight Island establishment just because that became a a word a worm brain in my in my head. I feel like it did for a lot of people during COVID, just the idea of Fight Island, which, funny enough, Trump had nothing to do with, as we'll get into, but that is like a major... Like Dana White came out as like the hero of the pandemic being the first uh, commissioner or president of a league to like restart. And he thanked Trump for it. Although I can't, I, as I'll get into, I couldn't find any evidence of Trump actually helping Dana White with that. Although he helped him with a few things that have to do with labor relations, which we're going to get into. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I, I We're going to basically equate later on in the episode UFC to the gig economy, which I'm sure you can see that parallel a little bit. Like these are contract fighters fighting for like an umbrella league. And there's obviously going to be labor disputes and Trump would be the kind of person to step in. Right. 
They also just don't have a union. Like, that's a huge part yeah. of it, where it's like, they should probably... Well, they they I, from my understanding, there have been efforts to unionize. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, those efforts have been in in struggle for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, mostly, yeah. Dana White's a piece of shit. Yeah. Mostly, Dana White is um a total fucking douchebag, and his upbringing seems to have made him a bit of a douchebag, as we're gonna discuss here. So, just to give a bit of background to people about Dana White, since we are on off court exploring the human stories, you know, where we're going to introduce you. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this fucking chunky. What did I describe him as a human thumb show up at like the RNC and shit and not, and been a little bit confused or sort of made an assumption like, Oh, UFC wrestling, Trump, yada, yada connection makes sense. But there's a little bit more to why Dana white has uh, come out and supported Donald Trump. So um, yeah, just to get into his background, Dana Frederick White Jr. is an American businessman and the current president of the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship, the largest MMA organization in the world. Under White, the UFC has grown into like an enormous multi-billion dollar enterprise. And as of August 2019, White's net worth is assessed at $500 million. Uh, he is of oh, Irish-American. Yeah, I know. Actually, it's kind of interesting. But it, I think it's because he's not an owner. He's just, uh, uh, as I'll get into, like he got a bunch of partners of his to buy the um, the Ultimate Fighting Championship when it was bankrupt, but then they just inst installed him as like an acting president. He actually doesn't have any like ownership stake over the UFC. Interesting. For some reason, I thought he was like a billionaire. Nope. <laughs> he's just a fucking douchebag. Um, he's uh, Irish-American descent. He grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, where he began boxing at the age of 17. He dropped out of co college twice to become a boxer-sized coach. Uh, White spent many of his early years as a coach residing in Ware, Massachusetts. He claims he left Boston for Las Vegas after reportedly being threatened by a boss of the Irish mob, who was also a secret, uh, secretly an FBI informant since 1975, named Whitey... Uh, Bulger and his associate Kevin Weeks. They are the subject of the movie Black Mass with Johnny Depp. I found an interview where White recalls this story. The details of the story, like I found other quotes, it's fucking boring. Like supposedly they asked him for $2,500 and that's a lot of money back then when you adjusted for inflation. But this is the best part of this story because he says this once in one interview. In a TV interview, White claims that when he realized in his in the late 80s that he wasn't going to be a boxer, he started using the boxer, the boxer size business that he started to train disaffected youth all over Boston and would bring them into South Boston to train with him regardless of skin color. He goes on to claim that this bothered the Irish Bob since he was bringing, quote, black kids to Southie. And on top of that, they thought he was making money off of it. Or supposedly Dana was just doing this out of the kindness of his heart. So that's why he got shaken down and decided the day where they were shaking him down to buy a plane ticket to Vegas and leave Boston um, forever. And one day I'm actually in there teaching a class and these guys literally walk right into the middle of the class. So we need to talk to you. I'm teaching a class. We need to talk to you. I'm thinking, these guys own the club or something. So I, I leave the class. I go out and start talking to them. And they start asking me if, they, if I know who they are. And I don't. So, and it, well, it's not Whitey, but it was Kevin. I'm sure you've heard of Kevin Weeks. It was Kevin Weeks. And that was it, man. They wanted some money. And uh, they walked away that day. I was thinking, man, these are, I don't even want to know these guys. So... And you were somebody who was willing to pick a fight with somebody if need be, but this was kind of a yeah, whole other level. Now, you'd have to be brain dead 
to pick a fight with these right. guys. You know, the, back, back in those days when I lived in Southie, I mean, the whole uh, um, Whitey Bulger thing was huge. But it was like I lived in Southie. And, and, you know, there were a lot of people, I'm sure, that dealt with Whitey and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't one of those people. I lived there. I never saw any of that stuff. You heard about stuff. But I, I, I had never seen any of that. This was the first time that any of this had ever been anywhere close to me. What did you do? I ignored him. I didn't do anything. You know, I wasn't going out of my way to try to bump into him again or, or to do anything else. And then one day I was sitting in my apartment and I got a phone call. And they basically told me, we want the money. And I said, I don't have the money. It was $2,500, which was like 25000 to me in those days. You know what I mean? Right. And they said, well, get it from your girlfriend. She doesn't have it. Well, get it from somebody. I'm like, yeah, well, you got till tomorrow. You got till tomorrow, which was a Sunday. The next day was going to be a Sunday. You got till tomorrow at 1 o'clock to give us the money. What did you think was going to happen? No, it's not nothing good. <laughs> nothing good was going to happen at one o'clock. So I literally that day, I, I bought a plane ticket and came back to Vegas. What do you think Dana White intends with having this story out, out there? I mean, he wants to he wants to be seen as like a good guy who's there to like develop talent or whatever, right? But it's also it's so like stereotypically the narrative that billionaires use around their own bullshit. You know what I mean? Like it's so in line with like every billionaire is like, oh, I just came from nothing and, and helped people along the way or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a good story. I don't know <laughs> yeah. why he would turn against the Irish like that, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> just throwing throwing the, the people of South Boston under the bus where he's like from. I um, think to, to yeah. look cool, right? Just to kind of bring the mob into it because he's again like a fucking like douchebag so it just he can't he couldn't just help black youth he would also have to be shaken down for it by fucking the uh main character of black mass um but yeah so while um at this point he was working uh when he went to vegas he started working as a manager for tito ortiz and chuck liddell and after shortly after that white meets the owner of a company called semaphore entertainment group which is the parent uh, company of a small mma octagon fighting league based in nevada which at the time was called the ultimate fighting championship when white learned that they were looking to actually sell the ufc he contacted his childhood friend lorenzo fertita who's oh you not, know just called up a buddy who had yeah. enough money to buy a fighting league right I was so disappointed, by the way. This guy is not related to Tillman Fertitta. For, for Very similar name spelling, though. Um, but yeah, Lorenzo Fertitta, who I guess, like, maybe he hangs out with, like, Italian sort of Guido guys, right? So he just felt he needed, like, a mob backstory as well. Because all these guys, I'm sure, also conflate, like, some kind of, like, Jersey mob story. Uh, but anyways, he was the executive and co-founder of Station Casinos, this guy. And former commissioner of the Nevada State Athletic Commission interestingly enough and uh he asked him if he was interested in acquiring the company Fertitta shortly then bought after buying the company immediately installed dana white as its acting president which he has been ever since um i don't know how much editorializing we can do there like dana white has elevated the ufc into like a massive business with his image uh people seem to really like Dana White, um, and like I said, there's also a lot of podcasts about the history of it. Um, I mean, it's the same reason people love Joe Rogan, right? Yes. Like, say what you will about Joe Rogan, but like, he's uh, 
like ferociously entertaining guy. He knows how to like, you know, make someone listen, put on a show. Like you've obviously listened to the Joe Rogan podcast. I throw yeah. it on from time to time. But I was just going to say my most deranged listen of it was when I was touring as a DJ uh, like four years ago in Asia, and uh, I had a three-hour flight from Thailand to Singapore, and I decided to I decided to listen to Joe Rogan and uh, Alex Jones and fucking who's the who's the South American guy he always the uh, UFC trainer he always has on who's like all, who's like a fucking like QAnon or like a Illuminati guy. Oh wow, he had he recently had Alex Jones on with Tim Dillon. I missed that. But yeah, supposedly in 2020, Joe Rogan had Alex Jones and Tim Dillon on the same episode. Okay, I mean that's a weird flex, but I'll take it. Joe Rogan, uh, you know, he he has his own problems that we can comment on with the kind of guests he decides to to have on his uh, little show, which has a but very small a listenership. Yes. He's like a circus trainer, right? And I mean that like a very pure sense of the word because circus trainers are also, uh, <laughs> you know, huge pieces of shit. Yes. But like he is a, a very good showman. Yep. Um, he's like, like such a great and magnetic personality. And, uh, you know, he hasn't uh, he, he, he isn't afraid to, I guess, criticize Trump on his podcast while working for a president of a sports league who's very much infatuated with Trump. So I guess we got to give Joe Rogan a little bit of credit, but I'm going to also, when I mention Joe Rogan in the, later in the episode, take away that credit very quickly, just to tease that a little bit. But it's also hilarious to think that Dana White is sort of aligned with Trump when you consider that the UFC has like a history of Republicans trying to shut it down. Like John McCain was a very uh, loud advocate of trying to get the UFC shut down both uh, during Bill Clinton's term and early on during Bush's term. And now we've seen the tables have turned in America in terms of uh, of who wants to. I mean, nobody wants to shut down the UFC, but the Democrats definitely have a little bit more interest in improving labor relations in the UFC than the Republicans. And the Republicans are just fucking fans of the shit now, regardless of their evangelical ways. So Again, we're not here to talk really about that. We're here to talk about Dana White and why he's so in love with Donald Trump and his very small hands. Um, <laughs> so, did, uh, so did Dana White get involved in politics before 2016? Seemingly no, except for a few very specific incidents that I've already teased. But really, the only connection to Trump seems to be that when the UFC was about to host its first events under this new ownership that I had outlined, the title card was UFC 30, and it was uh, scheduled at Trump's Taj Mahal when other venues at the time were refusing to host the UFC, which at that time was still going through a rebrand and was still considered like a blood sport by a lot of people. Um, the earliest evidence I could find of Dana praising Trump was in 2008 in a very deranged Playboy interview where uh, Trump, where uh, Dana White also admits to being an atheist after growing up Irish Catholic. Um, on religion, White reveals that he's an atheist. Quote, I don't believe in God, the devil, ghosts, or any of that bullshit. But I am still fascinated by religion, how violent and crazy it is. That stuff sticks with you. It's funny how much he like looks like Joe Rogan in human thumbness, but also like has sort of like a mind. Like they might not share political agree, uh, they might not be like politically aligned, but they have the same kind of stupid brain. For me, the the big thing with it is like it is. <sighs> I, I don't want to take it back to like fighting in the age of loneliness, but there is like an almost mm. religious fervor, you know, amongst UFC fans. Um, yes. And like the whole idea of like fighting or like boxing, which is where like, you know, Dana White came up in and like applied it to the world of fighting is like, it is like Olympian gods. 
yes. uh, on the on the court, right? Or on the in the on the court in the octagon. <laughs> it is like this idea of like historically fighting is is you know what is the the greatest a most powerful a human can be or look mm-hmm. or like how mythic can you make a figure, right? There's a reason like we know people like Jack Johnson to this day, right? Or Bob Fitz is it Fitzsimmons or Fitzpatrick? Like Fitz, the Fitz, yeah, Fitzsimmons, I believe. Yeah. Fitzsimmons, yeah, like Bob Fitzsimmons, the like, you know, arguably, you know, a top five greatest boxer who ever lived who looks like he's made of reeds. <laughs> um mm-hmm. is like that famous black and white photo of him. Or like, you know, the obvious ones being like Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson. And then MMA is sort of like a weird, like a nineties vacation of that uh, uh, theme where like they, they are presenting that same sort of vibe, but with the added like sort of nineties, like, like hobos fighting question of like, but what if a boxer fought like a guy who does Kung Fu? And like, how would that, like that literally is why the UFC got started is they would market like very specific different kinds of styles of fighters coming together in like a super smash bros. Um, but yeah, in this interview, uh, this is the first time that Dana White mentions Trump and thanks him for this early support. Quote, when the Fertitas bought the UFC, most venues wouldn't deal with us. We were outlaws. Our first event was at the Trump Taj Mahal, and Trump actually came to the fights. Way back in 2001, he was up in the front row watching the UFC. You'll never hear me say a bad word about Donald Trump. This was in 2008. He's repeated this line over and over again. Um, the article goes on to be really batshit. I, I just have to read a little bit more of it. Um he uh, he shares his thoughts about sexuality here, including the revelation that he was at 14 with the first time he had sex. Quote, it was in a maintenance shed in Vegas with a girl named Jane. I asked which corporate tie-ins he had turned down. White said, quote, porn. Not that I have anything against the porn industry. I find it quite entertaining. But when some porn makers wanted to sponsor us, I said no. Strip clubs too, because I want kids watching us. Why did he have to say that quote with like a weird flex about losing his virginity at 14 at the same time. I, That's it's like extremely funny. It's so weird. It's kind of going back to what we were saying before. It's like he wants to be squeaky clean, but he also has this like he he just needs to like assert assert himself as like an alpha male at the same time. It's- I also love like what a beautiful expression of like American puritanical tradition Dana White is because like if you watch any of the fights and like this isn't like a particularly compelling take but it's like the u.s army is front and center in every in every ufc fight right it's like the number one sponsor on the uh, octagon floor and it's like yeah it's like of course of course he's like you know he might be irish catholic but he pushes the atheist now though (laughs) oh yeah you know atheist but he's like are like one of the most protestant messages in basically all of sportsdom right like even if you watch ufc tv like every single side tv show or like story or like documentary series is about how someone worked hard and made it uh, you know what also your your uh, sort of puritanical the the point you're drawing from this is very much it continues in this fucking deranged article because he goes on to talk about homosexuality uh white also wants gay fans watching uh quote glad to have him when we started out, I did a cool layout in a gay magazine with Liddell, Matt Hughes, and some other fighters. There's no homophobia here. So after reading that, I had to look into all the homophobia that's in the UFC, um, and there's lots of it. This is from Forbes. During the main event of a Saturday, September 2019 fight card, Yair Rodriguez poked Jeremy Stevens in the eye. As Stevens attempted to recover from the foul, fans inside the arena chanted, quote, puto. 
Uh, two UFC competitors, Brian Ortega and former heavyweight champion Kane Velasquez, not only participated in the chant, but felt comfortable enough to post a video of themselves chanting along with the crowd. Since then, a video has surfaced that showed Stevens and Rodriguez involved in a confrontation at the Fighter Hotel. During the exchange, both fighters used a gay slur. In July, former UFC heavyweight champion Andrei Arvalovsky used a homophobic slur. Uh, Don Donald Caron used the same slur to describe Daniel Cormier's fighting style in 2016. In 2017, both Conor McGregor and Fabricio Werdum used the same slur. All have apologized, and the UFC did provide statements. The majority of these fighters have gone unpunished, even though uh, homophobic slurs are a violation of the UFC's code of contact. And although there are many incidents, Dana White also has his own incident of using a homophobic slur after... Uh, espousing this bullshit in uh, Playboy. White himself came under fire in 2009 when he used a homophobic slur during a video rant about journalist Loretta Hunt when Hunt was working for SureDog. During that video, White also used derogatory terms about women and people with mental illnesses. So we're starting here to see a on a personality level why Dana White and Donald, I think, have uh, so much in common. He also has a sex scandal, Dana White, which I wasn't aware of until this research. White was accused in a, a sex tape scandal when an exotic uh, dancer allegedly taped at a sexual encounter with White in Brazil around the year 2014 without his consent. The stripper also alleges that White had been seeing her for months during his marriage. The criminal case had been see had seemingly stemmed from what prosecutors allege was an October 2014 secret overseas rendezvous between an unnamed businessman and an adult nightclub dancer. White at the time was overseeing a UFC event in Brazil. The civil suit uh, states, the stripper's live-in boyfriend then tried to extort money from White, which resulted in a criminal case against her boyfriend. In Nevada, April 30th, uh, April 3rd, 2020, a civil suit against White was filed, claiming he was he offered the boyfriend money to persuade him to plead guilty, which White has denied. According to the complaint, White paid $10,000 to the stripper to dance and have sex with him. The lawsuit was dismissed uh, in early uh, or late uh, 2020. So paying off exotic dancers and porn stars, we know that is very much in Trump's wheelhouse. It is really interesting to me that, like, you know, Dana White... <sighs> See, like, he has this relationship with Trump. Trump is obviously out of office. Uh, but, like, any sort of controversy that Dana White would be, like, held accountable on sort of feels like it vanished once Trump left office. Yes. Right? Like, any sort of things around the way he treats his athletes, any of the things around the way he uh, might have some, you know, really disgusting and disreputable dealings in his like personal life you know uh which isn't which isn't like a, a discussion of like i think his relationship with sex workers but uh how he treats sex workers and stuff yep. like that it sort of went up in the ether once like there was no trump as an enemy right like i haven't heard a peep out of like uh you know, i know this isn't an indication of anything like donut twitter um around dana white uh, ever since, like, you know, Biden won the election, which uh, kind of sucks because he has a literal private island that he's flying fighters to so they can, like, you know, fight for, for our entertainment, right? Yeah, we're, we're going to talk no about that a little law. bit. Uh, yeah, with no extradition law. And, like, he had come up with this, with this idea for the island while being on Trump's business task force for COVID, right? So he was supposed to be fucking solving our problems here and is now extraditing fucking fighters to an island. So that that says a lot. Um, I don't want to get into it actually too much, but I have here a section about Atlantic City. Um, it's just kind of funny that this is like the moment where they fell in love because, you know, so Dana White explains that in their early uh, days, 
the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City was the only venue that would have the UFC for a while. The UFC is actually not returned to Atlantic City except for a weird 2018 event, mostly because the venues are way too small there, but also like the UFC is just so popular now. Um, there's athletic policymakers in all states except the UFC, so it doesn't need to like go to weird fucking places like New Jersey or Nevada to do its shit. Uh, during a 2016 campaign, her 2016 campaign, Hillary Clinton actually gave a speech in front of the ruins of the hotel to symbolize Trump's failing business legacy. She brought over also the guy who had worked on the uh, Atlantic Plate glass for all these hotels. He claimed at this uh, speech that Donald Trump owed him $1 million, but only paid half the settlement. Shortly after Clinton's speech, Trump actually released a statement defending his time in Atlantic City, saying that it's an effective and commonly used practice in business to use bank bankruptcy proceedings to restructure business and ultimately save jobs. But then other reports show that in 2009, after his company's fifth bankruptcy, the city had actually forced him out of doing business. By also, to Trump's point about this being good business, he was filing his bankruptcies while uh, the city's gambling revenues were at their fucking highest of all time, according uh, to the Associated Press. A big part Price. of the reason he shut it down, too, was because he couldn't get an agreement with the union. Oh, interesting. I didn't have that that information. The, uh, the union and uh, Trump uh, Atlantic City, Trump Taj Mahal Atlantic City management could not uh, reach an agreement. And basically, instead of losing all that money uh, in an agreement in a year or to a strike, they just... Uh, they just shut it down. Like it was, it was labor power that helped shut it down. Which I also, I also just find it, yeah. It's, it, which is like a reflection, by the way, of Dana White's relationship to the UFC. I imagine if there was a UFC union, there would be some sort of deep restructuring or yes, um, subsidiary agreements under like a UFC umbrella to like force everyone to go through that like unionization process again or whatever. That $500 million net worth, too, would uh, be greatly reduced for little Dana. So uh, no more Bri no more trips to Brazil. No more come to Brazil to, to do a fucking sex tape. Trying to think of like a, a good like riff on the Bruce Springsteen song, but I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also uh, listen to Renegades on the Harbinger Media Network. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Renegades? Uh, uh, oh, sorry. That was a deep joke. He has like a podcast with uh, – Bruce Springsteen has a podcast with uh, Obama. Oh, fuck. I forgot it was called Renegades. It's called Renegades, uh, man. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> well, they blew up America. I don't know. He's got Bruce Springsteen is going to go from like talking for Jeep to doing a song for the UFC at this point. Like, uh, we just need Dana White to like endorse Biden, which he might, which I will get into. <laughs> Uh, you know it's it's just like you know a, a new a new kim kardashian photo shoot happens and you know you've got uh paste magazine hiring bruce springsteen to be like oh, well she blew up the internet last yeah, yeah, night yeah yeah i mean oh my god the, the most cursed part of the 21st century is bruce springsteen sold out um but anyways, uh, at this point i mean we can see that writing on the wall because in 2016 dana white magically speaks at the rnc with no seemingly no political affiliations up at the, that point american businessman and president of the ultimate fighting championship mixed martial arts organization dana white what's up gop good evening everyone my name is dana white i am the president of the ultimate fighting championship Thank you. I'm sure most of you are wondering, what are you doing here? I am not a politician. I am a fight promoter. But I was blown away 
and honored to be invited here tonight. And I wanted to show up and tell you about my friend, Donald Trump, the Donald Trump that I know. In 2001, my partners and I bought the UFC, and it was basically considered a blood sport. State Athletic Commission didn't support us. Arenas around the world refused to host our events. Nobody took us seriously. Nobody, except Donald Trump. Donald was the first guy that recognized the potential that we saw in the UFC and encouraged us to build our business. He hosted our first two events at his venue. He dealt with us personally. He got in the trenches with us, and he made a deal that worked for everyone. On top of that, he showed up for the fight on Saturday night and sat in the front row. Yeah, he's that guy. He shows up. Donald championed the UFC before it was popular, before it grew into a successful business, and I will always be grateful, so grateful to him for standing with, those in the, with us in those early days. So tonight, I stand with Donald Trump. Let me tell you three things that I respect about this man. First, Donald has great business instincts. He supports businesses of all sizes. He'll make it possible for them to grow and succeed, which is the backbone of a strong economy. After, as we started hearing rumors that Trump was running for president, Dana got a call from the New York Times asking if he was going to speak with Trump at the RNC. This, by the way, was entirely based on rumors, and he hadn't even been asked yet by Trump. Shortly after that, a few days later, Dana gets a call personally from Trump and uh, accepts the invitation. It almost to me, feels like the public sort of brought them together. It just kind of made sense. But on the second night of the 2016 RNC in Cleveland, Dana White gave a fucking speech. Dana was part of a series of speakers on that day that was meant to highlight Trump's business acumen to fight back Hillary Clinton's attacks against him. Uh, so just some quick quotes from this speech. What's up, GOP? That's how he opened the speech. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm a fight promoter. Nobody took us seriously. Yada, yada, yada. Trump was the first one. 2001, Trump was there. He dealt with us personally. He got in the trenches with us. And he made a deal that worked for everyone. On top of that, he showed up for our fight on a Saturday night and sat in the first row. Yeah. He's that guy. He shows like Don up. Don King, you know, he's yeah, a paragon exactly. of virtue <laughs> exactly. who shows up for uh, for fights every night on a Saturday, which, you know, I don't know why that's important. I so wish tonight, I had that kind of money, to be honest. Right, I wish same. I could do that. Dude, fuck, okay. I would do it. I'll take Trump's spot and go in the first row as well and fucking be getting that sweat on you. Uh, so, yeah, I stand with Trump, quote unquote. I've been in the fighting business for a while now, and I know Trump is a fighter who will fight for this country. So from this point on, uh, Trump wins the the president, the nomination and the presidency. Dana is invited to eat at the White House uh, dinner four times a couple years after this point. Dana White, during their first dinner together, Dana White brought uh, a championship belt for Trump, uh, which on Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Dana White joked Trump uh, wears around the White House constantly. On August 1st, you were invited to the White House. Yes. President Trump is somebody you worked with from quite a long time ago. Right. You would have the fights at his, uh, at his venue in Atlantic City, right? Correct. And he invited you to what, to what? Come just hang around or what? <laughs> no, yeah. Me, my wife and I have, he, he, ever since he's been elected, he invited me to come out and go to dinner at the White House. I see. So uh, we finally, schedules lined up. We went out there. 
and uh, we had dinner in the residence. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I was in the Oval Office. And? Had, had dinner in the residence. You and brought him a belt? Uh, one of my fighters did. I see. One of my fighters brought him a belt, gave him the championship belt. Do you think he was wearing that belt around? Definitely. Uh <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, of course I would. Yeah, but this is a different story. He's the president of the United States. So what goes on when you have dinner with the president? How many people are there? It was just us, the three of us. Um, just you, your wife, and him? Yeah. Oh, wow. And how long did the dinner last? Three hours. And does any, is there any, like, official business that goes on, like you witness him, like, ordering a, a missile strike or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Nothing well, at first all. First of all, the food was the best food I've ever had in my life. Of course, you have to say that because he tells I you to say it. I don't have to say it. It's, the fa it's a fact. It was the best food I've ever had in my life. What did you have? Incredible. Well, they, they, first they brought out, like, ravioli. Okay. Like three of them. All right. Three of the best ravioli I've ever had in my uh -huh. life. <laughs> then there was... Uh, then there was some kind of meat. I don't uh, know what it was, uh -huh. but I want to find out what it was because it was the best piece of meat I've ever had in my yeah. life. It was probably yeah. an endangered hippopotamus <laughs> or something. <laughs> the boys brought it home from Africa. <laughs> then dessert came and that was... It was off the charts. It was dessert. What was for dessert? Because he loved dessert. I don't know exactly what everything was except for the ravioli. <laughs> but I can tell you that it had like a flaky crust, and it was whatever it was was unbelievable. I didn't ask questions. I just ate. <laughs> you know what I mean? At any point during this dinner, did the president try to spank you with a copy of Forbes magazine? <laughs> he did not. He did not. He did not. Well, that's, he's really maturing. <laughs> and did you talk about? Did you talk about the country? And did you talk about yeah. what's going well, on? Well, we talked about a lot of. Things. I mean, we yeah. talked three hours. Um, I, I don't know if that's a joke, though. That seems right. It was a three-hour dinner between Dana, his wife, and just Trump. Uh, Dana says he had three types of ravioli and the best unidentified meat he's ever had. He also couldn't identify the dessert. When Jimmy Kimmel asks Dana if they talked about the country, they actually didn't do any of that. They talked about Rocky movies. Dana admitted that his favorite was Rocky Three, and Trump's was Rocky Four. Is the Rocky Russian Three one. the one where no Rocky Four is the one where he stops communism, right? Yes, which is uh, Trump's favorite, according. Which to one's him. Rocky Three? Is that the Mush? Wait, no, I'm confusing Rambo for a sec. Sorry, I almost <laughs> yeah. said the one where he helps the Mujahideen. Um, Rocky Three. No, that's a rematch with Apollo Creed, isn't it? Yes, and that was uh, Dana White's favorite. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's yeah, Clubber Lang. That's the one who. Uh... Is it clever? Yes, it is. It's the one where he fights Mr. T, and it ends with the uh, with the freeze frame. Yep. With uh, uh, Rocky meeting Paul. What a great set of movies, by the way. And they had Jimmy Kimmel and Dana have a great laugh about the fact that uh, Trump's favorite is uh, Rocky Four. I guess uh, seemingly uh, contradicting uh, Russia Gate, which was very real at this year. So yeah, Trump. Because well, uh, you know Russia is a very communist country these days. Yeah, I know. Uh, to I mean, or, yeah. A lot of real communism out there. Uh, Trump attends UFC 244 at this point. In 2019, shortly before the beginning of his re-election campaign, Trump attended the event in New York City. In a media scrum following the event, Dana recounts the night Donald won the 2016 election and how right after he won, he actually called Dana and wanted to after-party at the Conor McGregor fight that was happening, but then backed <laughs> out, realizing, quote, I'm going to ruin the ev event for you, Dana. If I go, they'll have to shut everything down, so let's plan this and make it great. At the Which, by the way, that after-party would have just been hilarious. At that point, McGregor was like a vocal Trump supporter too, so it makes sense. Honestly, that would have been that would have been an incredible historic moment. That would have been like the, 
given us some of the most iconic photographs of like the the four years that were well four we're still in it now bitch like yeah. we're, uh, five years uh, that were going to come right yeah um so yeah at that point they decide that that wouldn't have been the perfect moment to do it except it would have been as we had just outlined and that this fight at msg in 2019 would be the one for trump to finally show up as president this is a week after he showed up at that baseball game and got massive booze uh but he walks in i watched a bunch of the clips from a whole bunch of different angles he walks in and to me it seemed like he gets this enormous cheer from the crowd that then a bunch of mixed in booze come in that then get drowned out with like i am a real uh, or some other fucking stupid lame rock song um and you know it's it's madison square garden so you would expect there to be a bunch of booze. Uh, and then in a uh, in the rest of the scrum that I was quoting, Dana said he didn't care about the New York reaction because he had Michael Rappaport and Snoop Dogg in the audience. And he says, those are my two friends of his who don't like Trump. And they didn't seem to mind. Okay. So then in a Joe Rogan episode that re- references this, they talk about it. Joe Rogan claims that it was mostly booze and not cheers like other people had said, and that he was shocked to see Trump. Uh, the video is totally confusing so i don't really know but i bring this up because on that podcast clip his guest which is uh greg fitzsimmons asks rogan if he thinks dana white has ever been to fuck island with trump rogan ignores his question and just moves on by the way i don't know if he didn't hear it but i just had to bring that up because i would assume that is the farthest joe rogan is allowed to comment on dana white you know what i'm saying what is fuck island it's uh, a jeffrey epstein's island Interesting. Okay, I didn't know there was. I'm. Sh- I. I should have guessed, but I didn't know there was an Epstein Dana White connection. Uh. Well, there isn't, but there's a Trump Epstein connection. Right. Okay. Right? No. I so mean that, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. So that uh, that's the kind of question you would ask on Joe Rogan if, like, since Dana White is friends with Trump, is there a Jeffrey Epstein connection? At this point, by the way, Jeffrey Epstein is very much alive and not uh, didn't commit quote unquote suicide. Uh, but yeah, I would just assume that is where the limit goes in terms of Joe Rogan being able to comment on Dana White's relationship with Trump. This is one of those weird things where it's like they they refer to sort of the this like you know whole uh, cadre of like UFC personalities as like the UFC family, right? Like something yeah. they they refer to it a, a lot. And it's like uh, is it Bruce Buffer, like the announcer? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way down to like the obvious like Joe Rogan, like the big UFC personalities, right? And Dana White. And like you can really you can really see it in situations like this where it's like cuz Joe Rogan is like uh, an Epstein truther, isn't he? Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah. So it's like it's one of those things where it's like I'm so curious as to like what Joe Rogan's whole relationship to all of this is. You know what I mean? Like is he the fail son of this fucking <laughs> family like what's his what's his actual like knowledge of what's going on he's the aj soprano Uh, of the family right like they just kind of want to push him aside while he listens to new metal records loudly in his room with all of his weird buddies that want to talk about actual politics right that would make a great like succession style tv show (laughs) you know i mean like this like you have the the various ufc people like you know trying to figure out who knows what when where Mm mm-hmm Fuck. Yeah, now or like a, real, a, a reality show a style of it. But um yeah, up until this point we've outlined like sort of all the weird the weird timeline of their bromance, but now uh, after the break we're going to discuss what I think from a little bit of research is the result of all this and you'll definitely have some shit to say about this Abdul. See you guys after the break. 
Are you into video games or ever wondered why something like video games is even important to be discussed, to be listened to? If so, check out Buffs and Nerfs, another podcast from the Mind Refinery. Hosts Andrew and Sam will talk about the latest from the gaming world and dive deep into the culture of games. From the game mechanics of Destiny 2, which... God, stop Bungie making me spend money and play your fucking video game. I gotta do research for this podcast. Uh, to the future of cloud gaming, they explore the relevance of gaming through personal experience and their impact on society. That was a great episode too. I highly recommend listening to this podcast. So, how did Trump help the UFC after all this like free support? There had to be some kind of political favor, right? This is from a post on the Bloody Elbow blog, which is a uh, pretty great UFC blog with lots of great reporting like this. I'll be referring to it a bit during the second half. Quote, there are reports that the promotion used between UFC and Trump used its relationship to the president to sway the National Labor Relations Board following a complaint from former UFC fighter Leslie Smith. Smith filed the complaint in May 2018, claiming that the UFC violated the NLRB's uh, uh, act by retaliating against her uh, by buying her out of her UFC contract because of her attempts to organize a labor movement called Project Spearhead, which you referred to earlier, Abdul. Smith hoped her complaint would force the NLRB to determine whether UFC fighters are employees or independent contract workers. However, the NLRB determined that UFC did not retaliate against Smith when it let her go after a canceled fight in April 2018. And as a result, it was not required to determine whether fighters were employees or independent contractors. Smith's legal advisor, Lucas Middlebrook, later revealed that the UFC likely called in favor from Trump, who who, he, who himself appointed the NLR, NLRB's current director, Peter B. Robb. So, uh, who is no longer the director of the NLRB. Uh, Peter Robb is gone, uh, which might be the only good thing Biden will do in his entire presidency, is replace this fucking ghoul. Um, on a side note, by the way, you know who is one of the biggest advocates for a UFC fighters union? No, I'm interested, though. Kobe Bryant. Interesting. In fact, he was in the news about, uh, like, this is me completely going into speculation, conspiracy. He was in the news pushing for a fighters union like a month before he uh, his helicopter crash. I like so what I you're mean, implying. like, I I'm not implying anything. I'm okay, simply no, saying sorry. these. I'm simply saying these two things occurred within a a close time span, and Kobe Bryant's advocacy was tragically cut short by a um chaotic helicopter crash that still has no easy answers and has been attributed to a pilot error the pilot of course was a veteran pilot with lots of cockpit experience flying uh, kyle do not kyle you told us not to editorialize do <laughs> not remove this I don't <laughs> give a shit if we get fucking defamation lawsuit i don't uh, care. we're not saying anything we are simply no, presenting no. allegedly two, allegedly two... allegedly allegedly so... I'm, I'm simply presenting two facts <laughs> Those two facts are not related to each other. They're simply two facts with one common person. That person is Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, top 20 all-time basketball player and advocate for a UFC Fighters Union. Uh, Which, just saying. We are uh, – it's it's great that you mentioned Kobe because we're actually going to mention Cuba in a little bit. I love that our season so far have had these weird strings of things coming up over and over again. It, it shows that there's a vision. Um, but just quickly before we get into Cuba – 
or a Cuban fighter, more specifically. We have to fast forward from this point. Dana has to return the favor. He speaks at the RNC in 2020. He gives the speech over Zoom because of coronavirus. Um, actually, before giving the speech, he was asking a scrum if he's worried that people will associate him with Trump's policy decisions at, up until that point. Dana responded, I don't give a shit. Danny, you, you, were, you were campaigning against Trump. How was that? You know, you wrote on Air Force One. What was that like? Yeah, I wasn't really campaigning. He, he called me and asked right. me if I wanted to go to Colorado. Right. He said, I want to go to Colorado? I said, yeah. So we flew over to Colorado for the day and then back to Vegas. Uh, we were just hanging out and right. talking fights. I wasn't even supposed to speak that day. I was just, oh, really? just was like cruising over there with him. Yeah. Oh, cool. You just decided to get up there and, and say what you Yeah, he called me up and, <clears throat> um, you know. What was it like being on Air Force One? Such insane. Insane, right? Incredible, incredible, insane. I, I, I just, I can't, can't say it enough. This, this guy, when I say this guy, I'm talking about President Trump, is such a good friend and such a loyal, amazing guy, man. He's just, he's, he's a great guy. He's been a friend of mine for a long time, and, you know. You're not worried about losing any favorites for, you know, for, over your friendship with the president. I could give you know, a shit. Right, right. I don't give a shit. Obviously, liberals probably watch If you don't like me. Right. Because I'm friends with this guy. That's your problem, not mine. At the beginning of the speech, Dana said he's back to support his good friend because Trump has built the greatest American economy before the pandemic. Finance was at an all-time high and unemployment is at an all-time low. And at that time, we weren't facing the lawless destruction that is now occurring in our American cities. What do you think he's uh, refer referencing? He's referencing yeah. BLM, obviously. Yeah. It mean, blows like, so. my mind how quickly some of the leadership in this country has forgotten the important role of our first responders. Come on, America defunding yeah this is funny because it wasn't really even a campaign policy by the democrats right it was just like something that we were calling for online but nevertheless uh president trump took COVID 19 head on by bringing in the best business minds in the country to bring back the economy safely i was personally one of the first people in the business task force like do you remember that? Like the first thing Trump did after like getting in a fight with Fauci's was create a business task force, which included no doctors, no scientists, just Dana White. And like, I think like the Papa John guy and a few other people. <laughs> so, you can imagine what those meetings sounded like behind closed doors. Yeah. At that point, um, uh, the Papa John CEO was not trying to remove the N word from his vocabulary. It's funny because I, uh, going back to like one of the first points you made, I just remember this. Like, I play a lot of the UFC video game. Hmm. Um, and in both of the career modes for UFC 3 and 4, um, it starts with, like, you being, like, a weak-ass fighter who's, like, discovered by Dana White, who takes a chance on you out of the goodness of his heart <laughs> and gives you your first contract if you, like, win four fights, wow. which, like, you obviously do because that's the tutorial. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Dana's, like, always in your inbox, like, in your DMs, like, telling you, like, you win this fight, I'll, I'll give you another contract. That seems realistic, fine, that Dana right? White would be harassing his, uh, his fighters <laughs> personally to push them to keep, like, playing for the UFC. Uh, but it's just very funny to me that, like, this idea of, like, yeah, I'm just helping, I'm just helping the little guy, you know what I mean? Like... So uh, is still is still present like is so present within this like narrative that he carefully controls obviously with like the UFC games and shit I'm standing in a very important spot right outside the Oval Office and you're looking at the White House behind me and it's an honor to be here and it's an honor to salute you and I want to congratulate Dana White and the UFC they're going to have a big match we love it we think it's important 
Get the sports leagues back. Let's play. You do the social distancing and whatever else you have to do. But we need sports. We want our sports back. And congratulations to Dana White, UFC. And he would continue to uh, present more, like, or add more fodder to this narrative about him being this, like, not only a great philanthropist, but, like, a great business mind because the UFC restarts during the pandemic, around the time of these rallies that... Dana is so angry about the pandemic hits the world as sports leagues are shut down. Uh, the UFC is, is forced to postpone three events that were spanning between March and April. Um, even as other leagues have remained shut down, White was being bullish about uh, resuming operations by the next pay-per-view event, UFC 249. That event was supposed to feature undefeated lightweight champion Khabib uh, Nurma Gomedov. Sorry if I mispronounced that against Ferguson. However, Khabib, as we all know, was removed from the event when it became clear he would have a lot of trouble leaving his native, native uh, Dagestan and re-entering the U.S., where um, he had held some of his camp. Um, as part of the COVID-19 task force that Dana White was a part of for some fucking reason, Dana basically figured out a way to restart the UFC during coronavirus with something he called Fight Island. Fight Island is a bubble in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, that has been used by the Ultimate Fighting Championship to conduct mixed martial arts events. The island is a private piece of land that was simply bought up by the UFC's money. Uh, Dana White stated that the venue had been established to work around travel restrictions. Right, that was everything. Preventing some international fighters from entering the United States during the time. Uh, initially described the proposed site as a private island or fight island. The bubble consists of same safe zones, which have hotels, training facilities, the beach, and restaurants. And I'm assuming... Uh, little children for the... No, I'm joking. Um, until 2021, all events held as part of the Fight Island were held behind closed doors in the Do Forum. Um, and ever since then, uh, the UFC actually moved its UAE events to the newly opened Etihad Arena on Yas Island, which is capped at 2,000 of its 18,000 seat capacity. Um, and now UFC events are open to the public during then. And of course, during the UFC restart, which I had watched, Donald Trump introduced the first fight cut to the clip which i will edit in here um yeah i i do do you uh, want to continue what you were talking about the fight island because i find it so interesting how he like says that this was all just to like get through travel restrictions obviously that was the main point but there was clearly other business benefits to doing this right i have wait. zero doubt that most main card fights will be held on fight island uh, of course they'll need to like move around a bit to keep money and like gate sales open right but like Fight Island to me is so interesting because, like, it's completely endorsed by the Emirati government, right? And, like, when you watch it, like, if there are people there, they're almost definitely going to be billionaire Emiratis and stuff yeah. like that who have paid top dollar for the privilege. Uh, the UAE famously uh, bad at labor law. <laughs> Yeah, or just human rights in general. I mean, not that the U.S. is too much better, but like, yeah, I mean, like it's like the least accountable place in the world to hold your events, and you've spent the last two years basically given carte blanche by the U.S. government to like build a infrastructure there so that you can like maintain this forever, right? It's like it is future proofing your business, uh, basically, no matter who tries to ban you in the U.S., right? You've got this place you can retreat to. Again, sort of like a Bond villain. It's literally called Fight Island. You know, man <laughs> is the most dangerous game and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty stunning when you look at it because you could not tell it was happening anywhere 
you could not tell where it's happening. Like when you watch it, it's like we're on Fight Island. It looks like because you never see outside. It's like from an undisclosed location in the Seychelles, right? It's like, very, it's, it's very dystopian, yeah. and also very the fact that just Trump was involved gave it very idiocracy vibes. You know, just sort of like a culmination of where capitalism and our fucking idiocy was going to go was to have a fight island near Abu Dhabi uh, for us to circumvent international laws and labor uh, laws to have. Uh, yeah. And Hard Arena is also like ridiculous, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen it from the outside. It's uh, insane. It's just like, it looks like it shouldn't exist. It's in the middle of like what looks like a weird industrial park. Um, it's pretty much just a UFC arena at this point. And the fact that it's on a place called Yas Island, I know that means something else in Arabic, but I just like it's hard not to it's hard not to yas queen yes whenever king. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this literally looks like uh like a uh place where like the villain in like a ghost recon game would be uh hanging out or something. Yeah, like Rainbow Six would be breaking into this and like, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. destroying the Russians or something. But yeah, as I had mentioned at this point. Dana White has to return the favor for all the circumventing. Donald Trump definitely sort of did in the background for this and for his labor, uh, is for his union uh, thumping fucking uh, efforts. So at this point, Trump has to start campaigning for his event. And I mentioned him a little earlier, but you didn't know he was here. I just said, you know, he's a champion. He's a winner. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's a tough cookie. He's the kind of people that made our country great. Truly, they made our country great. He started off with two people fighting each other. Then he got four people fighting each other. Then he got them fighting each other, each other. Then he got six and eight and 12. All of a sudden, people started watching and looking. And I was proud to hold his first event. That's why he loves me. I fought, they didn't want, they said it's too dangerous. Nobody would take it. I'm the only one who said, take it. We'll take it. And it was unbelievable. I went and I said, this is great. Let's do it again. And he has been my friend for a long time. And they put together a phenomenal deal. It's called UFC. He's the UFC president. And they just sold the company. He started it off for about $30. And they just sold it for $4 billion. And the people that bought it said, we're not buying it unless Dana White stays back and runs it. So Dana White, come on up. He's now a very wealthy guy. Come here. But uh, Dana White and a bunch of fighters were a big part of the Keep America Great rallies that were happening, uh, mostly in Florida. Just one quote to get into before I get into serious stuff. But before uh, Trump uh, brings up uh, some fighters that were on the rally, he says, quote, but Sleepy Joe, I don't think Sleepy Joe would be a good fighter. I asked Dana before one gentle touch to the face and he's down, he's down and he wouldn't give up and he, he wouldn't get up very quickly either. Um, so yeah, I, I just had to, uh, I had to do a little bit of Trump here, but there was a, something a little bit more sinister to having Dana White and the UFC fighters come along on these rallies. It wasn't just to be a macho fucking man, which we all know uh, Trump loves that song. Um, he, he, he dug into the bag of UFC fighters and made it a little bit strategic. This is from another blog post by bloody elbow, which is seemingly like a leftist UFC uh, blog, which I appreciate. One such example of Trump's collaboration with the UFC is the Fighters Against Socialism bus tour orchestrated by Donald Trump Jr. 
The four-part event, which took place in October, saw events across the state of Florida, including Tampa, Orlando, Coconut Creek, and Miami, and was headlined by UFC star Jorge Masvidal. The Cuban-American fighter, son of a Cuban immigrant who fled his, his native land on a tire, was the perfect poster boy for the events. Jorge relayed the quote-unquote horrors of socialism while imploring attendees to not allow the Democrats to destroy America with communism. Quote, I am obviously not a politician. I may not be schooled in a lot of these political issues like some of you, but I do know Latinos are not lazy. We are not people looking for a handout. Latinos don't want free stuff via socialism. We want freedom. Masvidal continued to play an important role in these final days of the campaign. On Sunday, November 1st, Trump held a late-night rally at the Miami Opa Executive Airport, where Masvidal was the featured speaker. He recited um, just this... Just uh, oh, very please, quick, two very quick things. Uh, one, uh, Masvidal's dad was murder- was arrested for manslaughter. Oh, my uh, And spent 20 years in jail. <laughs> um, and uh, Masvidal went to a very expensive private school... Oh. Um, in Cuba, in Miami, uh, St. Brendan, which is known for producing top-notch fighters. Let me just let me just take a look at their tuition. One second. Uh, yeah, their tuition is is twelve thousand five hundred oh. plus a fourteen hundred dollar registration fee plus a sixteen hundred dollar uh, bursary fee. So I mean, like, I yeah, I I'm just saying, you know, the story of like him escaping Cuba on a tire might have less to do with escaping Cuba on a tire and more to do with his father uh, running drugs out of Cuba or out of Central America <laughs> and then being arrested for manslaughter and spending 20 years in the slammer uh, while somehow still uh, allowing uh, Masvidal to go to a private school for $15,000 US right. a year. Uh, Where I assume, I'm assuming this bias sort of came into his brain. And yeah, the, the story of his father escaping on a tire is a lot less uh, more noble when you read these facts. <laughs> um, this had real effects, by the way. Uh, while Trump's strategy didn't secure him the presidency, it certainly benefited him with the Cuban population in Florida. Latinos in Florida voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump by 59% to 38%. Cuban Americans in Florida voted for Trump over Biden by 55% to 40 Trump focus on the Latino community did not stop here. The Trump team also enlisted MMA fighters for their Latinos for Trump events in various cities, including former UFC champion Henry Cejudo and Tito Ortiz, who is a known uh, conspiracy monger and QAnon, major QAnon follow. Um, In the vote for Trump ad promo, uh, Dana White calls for voters to... Oh, yeah. And just the last point about just like the rallies. For some reason, in in an ad promo promo for trump dana white urges people to vote in person in his uh in his ads but yeah so trump was clearly a day trump and dana are clearly smarter than they fucking are by like it, like having this event happen right like they really like went to masvidal and like knew exactly what he would say and took advantage of it for their like anti-communism fucking rhetoric right we could do a whole other episode on the way the MMA has created, like, possibly the most visible platform for QAnon. Yes. Uh, rhetoric. I, I uh, could have I could have done a whole other episode about all the fighters who are into this shit and are Trump supporters. Like, I could have had a Conor McGregor section and I just, there's no time, right? I mean, like, actually, I, uh, I'm mutuals with the QAnon anonymous guys who should keep that in the pocket uh, for yes. the future. Um, I'm one of the 400 people Julian Field follows. I feel very proud of that. Um, but like, but yeah, like you know that that it makes sense. Um, and like you also have to consider 
like sports in the context of of success is all about long-term planning right you're never like making a move right now to win the to win a championship a year from now right you're looking ahead to like four or five championships from now that applies to fighting too right Mm -hmm. not just looking to win a belt Uh, you're looking to win multiple belts or to defend your title multiple times right and it makes sense that like if you have a guy who's uh able to basically convert uh you know miami Miami Latinos and use that as like a, a nexus for converting Hispanic voters sort of across America to uh, Trump, right? Especially middle-class second America, second generation, third generation uh, Hispanic voters, like, you know, places like this are the perfect place to do it. Like, you know, what else does the UFC trade in if not nationality, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't fucking, I didn't know Dagestan existed until <laughs> Khabib came on the yeah, scene. Me, me right. Yeah. <laughs> Like I didn't know a single thing about like you know Petrijan's um like mm-hmm. backstory or where he grew up. Like how many fucking Serbians and Bosnians have like magnified their entire country as a result of like the UFC, right? Um, it's also very interesting that like there is a Palestinian fighter uh, mm-hmm. in the UFC who's allowed to to raise the Palestinian flag, and it's like it, it works. You know, it works because like. You know, it's all about these like national rivalries more than it is about uh, about like individual success, right? You are representative of your country. Um, you know, when I was in Ireland, I've been there a couple of times. Every boxing gym, front and center, huge mm-hmm. photo of Conor McGregor on the uh, on the cover, right? Every single fighting gym. I had to look this up, by the way, but there is one Israeli UFC fighter uh, named Noadia no Lahat whose nickname is Neo, um, and I can't find anything about his political uh, views. It would be really cool to, it would be like a real, like, fun cage match to see uh, <laughs> to see a Palestinian UFC fighter and the Israeli UFC fighter. They should hold it on the West Bank. Yeah, and they did the, yeah, the Middle East uh, crisis fucking title fight. Yeah, I'd love that. Rogan. Oh, the Middle East crisis is a great name for a fucking title fight. <laughs> yeah, Bilal Muhammad, that's your Palestinian fighter, and he, he proudly carries the Palestinian flag. Hell yeah. When he goes, when he goes into the, uh, into the octagon he's he was uh in the last fight i watched he was a uh, fucking baller and yeah just to your point like we could do so many mac like micro episodes about the ufc and it's sort of connection to nationalism it's connection to like basically exploiting the labor from these nation states these very small nation states um but again we have to focus on fucking dana goddamn white and now at this point biden has won uh in a so what does dana think about biden's win in a scrum dana was asked about the upcoming election results which were at that point indicating a biden win by a large margin um dana was asked if biden would negatively impact the ufc dana laughed and said why would biden come after me why because i like trump i don't think biden knows who i am i also don't think biden knows who biden is laughs uncontrollably (laughs) and then says i had to do it to them um but interestingly enough, you know how Biden just or Dana just said B- Biden wouldn't know who he is. That's completely a lie because Dana White actually campaigned for something with Biden in 2010, which completely nullifies his comments earlier. Um, basically, like, sorry, I kept like suggesting that Dana didn't have any political affiliations and he doesn't. He, for the most part, hasn't really done anything political. But for some reason, 
other than another thing I'm going to mention, this is on his record. In October 2010, the vice, then Vice President Joe Biden visited the University of Nevada Reno campus in a campaign-sponsored rally in support of the candidacy of U.S. Senator Harry Reid. In an attempt to persuade young people to vote in the midterm elections, Biden enlisted the help of USC, UFC President Dana White and former champion Chuck Liddell. The event began with a rally on campus where tickets and seating were distributed by young Democrats. White arrived on stage flanked by Liddell and gave an impassioned speech about the importance of voting. Quote, many of you know I am not a political person or a politically correct person, but I came here today to tell you guys how important it is to go out and vote. We're blessed in this country that we have the right to actually go out and pick who gets to go into office and represent us. Um, MMA journalist Ariel Helwani later asked White about his experience beating Biden, which the UFC president described as, quote, cool. He was a very nice guy. It was fun to hang out with him. I had a good time. Uh, I was honored. Ariel Helwani, by the way, um, that report is going to show up at the story just in a little bit. But um, from this, like this weird moment, I know it's not quite like Kanye, but do you think Dana White's support for Trump comes from maybe like this disillusion of the Democratic Party the same way Kanye ended up being like a, a Trump voter, right? Like, like Kanye was obviously more political and was sort of like doing stuff with Obama, but he cites a lot that like he ended up voting. Um, supporting Trump because he felt like the Democratic Party after Obama, like, chewed him up and spit him out, like, for as an endorsement. You know what I'm saying? I feel like Dana wanted more than what the Democrats gave him. In fact, they took positions that were sort of contemptuous of of uh, what Dana White's business was, right? Like UFC and fighting and, and you, know, you know, moral panic over what that represented and stuff like that. Because uh, Dana White also wanted the UFC to be way more of a blood sport than it is, eh? Like, the, right. the very first UFC fight was, I believe, like, at least three people were, like, genuinely sent to the hospital mm-hmm. as a result. Um, it became something way more professional, something way more akin to, like, an international uh, fighting federation because he couldn't get the almost, like, a WWE but real flavor that he wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, it makes sense. Like, I think Kanye's uh, response to to Obama is way more of like a like just like cultural shock slash mental illness right. response. Yeah. Whereas, like, Dana's just like, I need to cash in on this, and he probably also identified right. a lot of Trump voters in his constituency of like MMA fans, right? Like, it's not. It's not as much of a crossover as everyone thinks. I actually think that's the one big problem with fighting in the age of loneliness is that it 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 diagnoses uh, most MMA fans uh, with a sickness they don't have. Right? right? Like, I don't think they're quite as reactionary as um as like we're led to believe, mm-hmm. uh, sort of overwhelmingly. But like, there is a lot. Yeah, you know I mean, like that said, there is a lot, and those people are reactionary and they're quite loud and they're yeah. quite aggressive and they re- like, you know, gravitate towards a figure like Dana White, like Vince McMahon, like Donald Trump, like, like Rogan. Yeah. Like Rogan, yep. you know? Um, so, you know, that, that all makes a huge amount of sense to me. Um, it's funny. Cause like, you'd almost expect Dana White to be, <laughs> To be like pro Bernie, uh, yeah. not because he'd have to pay more money in taxes, but because he'd save a fortune on healthcare costs. <laughs> yeah, um, you know. Yeah, especially because most of his fighters have to get healthcare in America. And it, you know what, your uh, analysis of sort of my weird Kanye um, divergence is it makes sense because a year, like, and in 2010, 
being an Obama guy or being a Democrat was a little bit less like bipartisan. Like so many people had voted for Obama at that point. Um, he was not in his second term quite yet. So just a little bit more mainstream. But a year after this, um, it seems like Dana White is slowly realizing that Republicans are the ones that he needs to uh, uh, get into camp with because um, – in, uh, this is from a SB Nation UFC news blog on November 15th, 2011. Zufa LLC, parent company of UFC, uh, has filed a suit against the state of New York on Tuesday, November 15th, 2011, calling the Empire's state's ban on mixed martial arts uh, unconstitutional. So at the time, MMA was not allowed in uh, New York. Um, UFC President Dana White and co-owner Lorenzo Fertitta stormed Madison Square Gardner earlier to prevent their UFC plans for the year with New York if their ban were to be removed with the help of Assemblyman Dean Murray, who basically is uh, self-describes himself as the first Tea Party activist to ever be elected into office. So basically they had to immediately go into the bag of Tea Party dudes to help them on their fucking conquest for legalizing UFC right away. He he read the writing on the wall. The Democrats aren't going to help with him, like you just mentioned. He's going to have to start hanging out with the Republicans. I will say also, like, you know, to that to that point, too, like, fighting also speaks to, like, a good guy can be whatever you want it to be, right? Like, if you have two guys in the ring, and for example, like, let's say, let's say uh, your Palestinian-Israeli fighter fought each other, right? There's no, like, if you're inclined towards a Palestinian self-determination and emancipation, um, you know, as you should be, by the mm -hmm. way, like, you immediately see this as a battle of good versus evil. However, if you're a Zionist, you also see it very purely as a battle of good versus evil, right? Yeah. Like, like Russians who saw Petrian fight in the in the last big UFC card or whatever, right. you know, and he got disqualified by the way for an illegal punch that uh, Khabib apparently told him to throw in Russia. Just, you sick. know, on that level, yeah, it's uh, incredible. Khabib's I don't know awesome. how you, I don't know how you fucking lose your title defense. Uh, by throwing an illegal punch like that when you were just so obviously going to win at that point, like it was basically a guarantee. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like right there, you've, you know, for for anyone who's watching who's a fan of Petrian, you're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a badass, awesome, and like Russian supremacy, right? B boxing like, is seemingly taken on this kind of branding too, right? Like shortly after this, Conor McGregor does his first boxing match against. Uh Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, Floyd Mayweather, which was like given a sort of political fervor to it as well, right? Like it was sort of especially cuz Conor McGregor's like a MAGA guy. It was sort of given like a black like a very and something that boxing hasn't done in a while, right? Because like civil rights were a thing while boxing continued if only, on. If only Floyd Mayweather could read what people were saying about him. <laughs> Fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, that guy's that guy doesn't need to read when he's like uh, sitting on his throne of uh, millions of dollars as he's taken many pictures of. Um, but yeah, basically, I remember. Sorry, I remember watching that fight when we were. I know we don't have a ton of time left. I was watching that fight driving to a festival in Naborabetsu, Japan, through like a Wi-Fi card I had bought um, at the Crazy. airport in Tokyo. Um, and Megan was extremely hungover and like I had my headphones in, I was holding a Godzilla toy I had bought earlier that day in a Japanese department store and the drivers, <laughs> uh, which were friends of mine, were negotiating with Japanese toll operators because we got into the wrong toll booth Oh, and I couldn't hear, um, I couldn't hear Megan talking about she was going to puke. <laughs> 
That's <laughs> just so they saw, like, these poor Japanese security guards were looking in the car negotiating with two gaijin in the front, watching someone puking in the back while I hold a Godzilla toy <laughs> watching a UFC fight. Uh, yeah, it was a bizarre experience. It was a lot of fun, though. You brought great shame to this, the nation of Japan just in that single fucking moment. Honestly, like, I after that, there were a lot of reasons I don't blame Japanese people for being so hateful of foreigners. But I'm like, <laughs> if I was just a dude trying to do my job at a toll booth and I saw that, I would I would hate foreigners too. You know what I mean? Just to go back to um, Leslie Smith, which we had mentioned earlier, really the only concern Dana White should have with the Biden administration is the very small possibility that they would ever tackle something like the gig economy and labor relations, right? Which is basically what you had said earlier. Um, so I'm bringing this up to directly related to the Leslie Smith story that we discussed earlier. And this is continuing from the Bloody Elbow blog. Quote from Leslie Smith, by the way, I am excited about the potential for a more work-friendly NLRB under the Biden administration. I look forward to seeing who he appoints and how the first few issues are dealt with to get a better sense of what to expect over the next four years. I'm also excited about the possibilities of Andrew Yang holding a position. Uh, Politico uh, released a list of potential Biden administration officials that lists Andrew Yang as potential chief technology officer. I'm not sure if he got that position. Um, I believe Yang will continue to add. I don't think he did, right? Because he's like running for uh, New York mayor or something. Yes, he's running for New York. Mayor. Yeah, so he did not get this position, but Yang is important here. I believe Yang will continue to advocate for MMA fighters and pro wrestlers from any position he lands with. Over the next couple of years, this is uh, from Smith still, quote, over the next couple of years, I hope to see the major gig companies to be held accountable for their employees' welfare. Uber, Lyft, the UFC, and the WWE have all taken liberties and, ado and adopted levels of control over their workers that make them employees, but the companies have been allowed to keep them classified as independent contractors. I hope that changes. Quote. So Andrew Yang is mentioned here because Andrew Yang, a Democratic presidential candidate in the 2020 elections, rose to prominence for his advocacy for UBI. He was also an MMA fan who wants to work with Congress to extend the Muhammad Ali Boxing Act to MMA organizations. They have the Nation National Labor Relations Board treat MMA fighters as employees rather than independent contractors and help them organize into an association or a union. He argued that the MMA, quote, doesn't have a strong private sector organization to establish ethical standards or business practices. This is from Yang. You have major sports with billion dollars of value where the athletes often can't afford to fight full time. And it is only because the UFC systematically squashed any effort for fighters to be treated the same way as athletes are in other sports. Yang also advocated for Smith and later invited Smith to speak at one of his rallies in San Francisco during the height of his presidential campaign. Quote, I think Leslie Smith is a great American role model, and I don't think her labor fight got enough attention. The fact that she supported my campaign is something that I am proud of and honored by, Yang added. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Andrew Yang sucks, but like, yes. he's at the very least, you know, the bar is so low for like incremental po progress on labor issues. And like, I'll accept anyone talking about labor issues in sports, because that's something that's like going to be super low on the radar of like yes. any elected politician, you know, and stuff, like which also, by the way, is weird, because it feels like it would be such a gimme in terms of saying that you're making labor progress by... Yeah. Improving labor conditions for athletes while not doing anything for anyone else, right? Yeah, while like leaving Uber and Lyft as they are and letting the tech giants do their thing because they're obviously the fangs are so fucking powerful from those companies and they, 
you know, they seemingly push fucking other governments, like what's going on with Australia right now with Facebook. Regardless, the WWE and UFC seem like perfect targets for this. Um, actually, because I know we we don't have a lot of time, I want to get to this because uh, the blog continues to really outline without Trump how the UFC might run into some problems. Uh, beyond the NLRB claim, the UFC is currently facing a $5 billion antitrust lawsuit that is, if certified as class action, could signal a fundamental change in the way the promotion operates overall. The suit, which was filed in 2014, claims that the UFC used predatory and anti-competitive practices to illegally acquire and maintain a monopoly over the MMA landscape, which in turn was used to keep wages down. And while legal proceedings have been taking place for the last five years, U.S. District Judge Richard Bolware, who's presiding over the case, recently said that he is, quote, likely to certify the suit as a class action, which would group more than 1,000 fighters together to sue the UFC. Faced with significant threats to their business, the UFC was relying on Trump's administration to influence the outcome. One of the ways it could have... Not to cut you off. This is super important. Um, UFC, like sports unions are actually usually a win for ownership. I think I've talked about this before because it sports unions allow owners to to circumvent Section 1 of the Sherman Act. Uh, allowing sports businesses to uh, collectively set player salaries together, right? Because the NBA, uh, like sports unionism is like, well, they're unionized uh, under under the, like in negotiations with the NBA, but it's the constituent teams that determine obviously salaries up to maximum minimum, right? So, I mean, like, a sports union here would act, would probably work in the UFC's favor and force them to negotiate or bargain with other fighting leagues um, in terms of setting uh, standards, salaries, bringing them into the fold. Like, it would be a win for business in this case, uh, which isn't the reason to unionize. Fuck that, right? Yeah. But, like, if they want to want to avoid anti like accusations of antitrust, uh, breaching antitrust law, like, it would do them well to unionize, although that sets a very dangerous precedent in terms of like giving workers too much power, which these parasitical businesses obviously don't want. And they have um, opportunities to still influence this. I, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like partially what you're saying too is valid, but maybe part of what they're even trying to avoid is just like other other fighting championships or other MMA uh, leagues coming up and rising to any prominence, right? Like it seems like a monopoly is one of the main concerns of the UFC. Yeah, I mean, like... <sighs> I get it. The only thing is like, yeah, how do you avoid that? Yeah. Who do you know? You know what I mean? Exactly. And at this point, it seems like they have such a stronghold. But um, from according to this article, hope is not lost for the UFC. So faced with this this significant threat to their business, the UFC was relying on Trump's administration to influence the outcome. One of the ways it could have achieved this was through Mekhan Del Rahim the assistant attorney general for the antitrust division of the Department of Justice. Prior to becoming Trump's appointee to lead the antitrust division, Del Rahim worked for a law firm, Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, Sheck, and had a roster of clients that included Zufa LLC, the parent company of the UFC. Uh, That fucking uh, law firm that I just mentioned that I'm not going to say its full name again, lobbied both the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives on behalf of the UFC regarding piracy of copyrighted programming and against the Muhammad Ali Expansion Act. Del Rahim, a former lobbyist, revealed in a 2017 interview with the New York Times that antitrust, quote, antitrust is intended to support free markets and that and that the government should intervene only when necessary. He also added that, quote, a monopoly is perfectly legal until it abuses the monopoly power. 
under Biden, the White House would appoint another official to head the antitrust division, which means that Del Rahim's view on monopolies and his conflict of interest with the UFC may not matter if the just if the judge certifies the antitrust case against the promotion. So basically, while the UFC is likely to cozy up to Biden because of this in a much more subtle way, just to be able to deal with it. Um, the UFC is a massive American business that I'm sure the government wants to be sustainable, right? In some way, but we can only speculate here. Dana White should also take solace in the fact that, that the two people Biden appointed to, to the FTC to fight antitrust, uh, they're both of their experience and expertise and direction is to, is to find antitrust uh, issues within big tech and not anything else. Right. Like, that's been a huge, so fucking weird. I just looked up the article, and the person who took the photo for the uh, for the New York Times article is someone I went to <laughs> photography school weird. with. Um, yeah, uh, it's bizarre. Good, good for you, man. I hope your rich mom is treating you well. Um, <laughs> but, like... Uh, yeah, like it's it's entirely a tech focused uh, observation on on antitrust, right? Mm-hmm. Also, it's Biden, so nothing meaningful. There will be no meaningful change. But right. like Dana White is definitely low on that list of like, okay, mm-hmm. who are we going to get for breaking antitrust law? Or he might end up being low hanging fruit, right? It's yeah. it's one or the other. Who knows? I mean, and to that point, this is the end of the podcast. We can discuss a bit more of that, but I think we got into it pretty deep. On that point, though, Dana will Dana abandon the Donnie right in the fa- in facing this uh, this embroiled controversy? Uh, hell no, of course Trump has already defended uh, or Dana has already defended Trump in 2021. This goes back to Ariel Helwani and Gina Carano. Leave Gina alone. You know, listen, we we so we, we we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. You know, for for everybody to go in on her. I love how Ariel Helwani made it all about him. It was all about him. Uh, Dana White attacked respected UFC journalist Ariel Hawani, saying he recently made the conversation about himself and to leave Gina Carano alone with his, quote, douche-worthy comments. Uh, what were those comments exactly? If you somehow missed the story, Gina Carano of Mandalorian fame recently equated hating someone for their political views or specifically being a Republican, to the persecution of Jews during the Holocaust, which led to Disney dropping her from the Star Wars show. Uh, Ariel, who is... Not because she was a transphobe, but because she just took it a little too far, right? When it's Disney and you can make assertions uh, there, Ariel Hawani, who called Carano's statement asinine, tone-deaf, and insensitive on social media, suggesting that she should go to Auschwitz to understand the Holocaust a little better. Uh, Dana White stood up for Carano, maybe for other reasons other than Trump, since Carano has a history of yeah being a transphobe, going on uh, social media to argue for anti-mask rhetoric, as well as blocking like all like doing a blockchain of BLM activists online. Her stance basically goes hand in hand with shedding the coronavirus as a threat, something that Dana White has subtly suggested himself. Anti-mask, anti-mask, anti-black turf superstar deserved both Dana White's support and Ben Shapiro who is currently producing a movie with Gina Carano about her firing. So, um, yeah, we have a very exciting uh, 2024 re-election campaign coming up. That's really all I learned from this research, because I really hope all these fucking guys come out together. I want Ben Shapiro and Gina Carano campaigning for Trump, uh, and they're, I don't know, and they're fucking like, they're, they're uh, Republicans are going, they're going to Holocaust Republicans campaigns that they're going to do in 2024. Honestly, if Dana White ran for president, he'd win the landslide. It's true, like, actually. Instead he's... of The Rock, Dana White should run for president. 
And the thing is, like, Dana White won't because his business is solvent. Like, he loves what he does far more than Trump does, right? Um, but, like, he he holds a sort of political sway. And, like, again, like, if you've never seen the UFC, Dana White is a salesman, a brilliant salesman. He's a very magnetic figure. Like, you see him during fights. You see him in pre-shows. Like, he is... I you know I hate to use this turn of phrase. He seems like a guy you'd love to get a beer with. Yeah, you it's know kinda, what I mean. It's kind of like the Doug Ford vibe, where like I I I don't know if you'll share this with me, but I you I know, do you, I do. You share personally it. Yeah. you personally hate him and everything he stands for, but you just know deep in your heart that you could drink a beer with them at like a cottage patio and everything would be like totally dandy and you'd have a great little conversation. With Dana White, uh, one of the reasons Donald Trump. Um, was so popular and like Rob and Doug Ford, right? Is because they're not actually cynical people. They're very earnest people who yeah. are evil, but earnest people who have surrounded themselves with cynics. Yeah. Right? Like there's a reason um you know all of uh who's that guy? Who's that white supremacist in Trump's cabinet? Um the one white supremacist in Trump's cabinet? I'm sorry, I didn't know that not was Gorka. A... Um, oh, um white... like the guy the guy was uh not in office but like Bannon? Stephen Miller. Oh, Stephen Miller. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, you know, that's, you know, there's a reason, like, people like Stephen Miller created more policy than, than Trump did, obviously, right? There's a reason Trump just, like, listened to Kanye West talk about prison reform and then did more in in one week uh, for prison reform than Barack Obama did in two terms, right? And again, like, these things are not reasons to love and support Trump. But, like, I think the big takeaway to understand here, basically, for any enterprise is, like, these people are very genuine. What you see is what you get. Um, And, like, that also applies to their, like, their fucked up version of, like, charity, right? Whereas, like, the Democrats don't do anything because they they see it as, like, oh, this is me giving back to the community while I, I don't know, slash tax rates for billionaires so to make Mm -hmm. my friends better it's oh so that this is because this is like politically useful at this point in time and and you see it sort of across the board it's also in the tension between like individual athletic you know uh charity versus um or altruism versus like the nba's like charity program and stuff like that right and the way that all these leagues handled what was going on during the pandemic with the black lives matter rallies like we can make that connection to all of these, yeah, like these corporations at the end of the day act like the fucking political parties that they align themselves with. Um, with that, I mean, I, I think uh, we covered a lot on, on this episode. Um, I'm still going to keep watching the UFC. I think everybody else should if they want to, but it's important to sort of not also paint the, I think it's important to not just paint the UFC as you had said earlier, as sort of like, just like a right wing mongering, like, and that all their fans are a bunch of MAGA guys. Like it's important to look at the nuance, not only because like we need to respect the leftists who like UFC, but because there's so much more to the story than just like Dana White is a human thumb who likes somebody who he shares other disgusting opinions with and Trump. It's, yeah, like the UFC, like I don't watch it for Dana White. Dana White is arguably a bonus because he is a very entertaining guy. Yeah. But, but you watch it because you, you're you interested in the athletes, you're interested in the skill, right? Like UFC is so cool because like the difference between your 13th and first ranked fighter and everything mm-hmm. in between is so obvious. You know what I mean? Like you definitely see those changes. Yeah, like like the, the, the way it scales up in terms of skill level is so mm-hmm. fucking cool. 
and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I, I highly recommend people watch the UFC. I mean, this goes back to my theory that everyone should watch more sports because, like, you can't you can't claim to be a populist and reject, or yes. claim to be to be interested in uh, sort of um, not co-opting but harnessing a populist power without being having a genuine affection for. Um, populist vice, right? Of which yeah. sports, and in particular the UFC, is a is a huge part of that. And it's fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's awful. It's illegal. It's immoral. But like, fuck, man, this is it's it's awesome to watch, right? Like, there's no high art and low art within sports, which makes it really cool, right? You could argue that, like, comparing the UFC to another sport of some kind, just because of the violence. But at the end of the day, when you really distill it, distill it. Sports is kind of like across the board, like you can enjoy it in a neutral way, but it's important to get into it if you're going to be political so you can understand the nuance, which we're presenting on this show quite a bit. Um, Abdul, thank you for that. I thought that was pretty great. And yeah, thank you everybody for listening to the Off Court Podcast. Peace.